Hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of November 2022, and it is once again that very special time of the month wherein we do our very special Tales from the Shelf episode. Uh, and in joining me in this endeavor, I have my good buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. How's it going, Brad? It is going great. Uh, glad to be here once again, uh, Trevor. Thanks for having me. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I'll say just uh, off the top here, uh, I feel like I'm back, baby. I feel like uh, Black Friday has hit. I've already indulged in uh, some of the deals, and I just feel like you know my physical media spending has uh, come back in a big way. Might have hit an all-time high, and we haven't even had the vinegar syndrome sale, the severance sale. I mean... It's getting dangerous over here. So I got lots of stuff. I got lots of movies to choose from today to talk about. Well, that's fantastic, Brad. Uh, so, uh, folks at home, if you're not aware, a uh, Tales from the Shelf uh, episode is essentially where uh, myself and my good buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast, um, you may have noticed behind me, I have a fairly substantial media collection. That would be DVDs, Blu-rays, and 4K discs. Uh, essentially, the theme of the show is uh, it's just kind of our platform. Uh, to talk about our collections, to talk about the movies that we have in our collections and share some war stories uh, in regards to how we came to possess all these films and what they mean to us. Uh, so the theme uh, for this month uh, is one that we've been kind of chipping away at uh, just whenever we run out of clever ideas for things to talk about. Uh, and that is, of course, uh, heading back to the alphabet. Uh, to serve as inspiration for our our picks uh, for this month. Uh, so this month, uh, we're going back to the alphabet, and we've already done all the A's, a basket, I think, or a bucket of B's, <laughs> a cluster of C's, and I believe that puts us to a dollop of D's. Uh, so um, essentially what we're going to be doing here today is uh, talking about some movies that begin with the letter D uh, from our respective collections uh, that mean something to us for one reason or another. Uh, so uh, it would only be fitting uh, that I do my traditional hosting duty of promptly tossing my buddy Brad under the bus and uh, asking uh, that he be the first to introduce one of uh, his dollop of D's. Uh, so Brad, uh, would you be so kind? Well, let's just dig right into the D's, uh, Trevor. Uh, and starting off, you know, I like to... Uh... I, I like to think I'm a classy guy, you know, I uh, let's let's pretend I like tea. I like wearing tuxedos. You know, I like talking about high art. I like going to the opera. Let's just pretend all those things are true because I'm picking a very classy movie for my first D. One of my favorite movies ever it starts with a D. It's an all time classic. It is dumb and dumber, dumb and dumber. The uh Jim Carrey, Jeff Daniels classic, the Farrelly Brothers classic uh, from 94, I want to say. And uh, I love Dumb and Dumber. It is one of my favorite comedies. I I see a lot of people say, oh, you know, Dumb and Dumber. It's a it's a funny movie. I mean, they're like, it's, it's the humor is dumb, but it's really funny. And I have to take issue with people that think the that the movie itself is dumb because I actually disagree. I think. Most of the movie is extremely clever. Uh, of course, the characters themselves are dumb, but I think the humor is actually, I'm not going to go so far as to say smart, but I think there is some uh, 
clever jokes, some great writing, but revolving around two characters who are dumb. The characters are dumb. The movie is not. I think the perfect example of that is one of my favorite moments in the movie uh, where they're at the diner and uh, Jim Carrey looks at the waitress and he's looking at the menu and he goes, what's the soup du jour? And she looks at him completely stone faced and she goes, it's the soup of the day. And he responds, he goes, "Ooh, that sounds real good. I'll have that. Like, that is just a great, it's like, that's a clever <laughs> gag. Like, that is a, a clever way to make a, a joke about somebody being dumb. Like, I, I love that. And uh, the movie is just uh, endlessly quotable. One of my favorites. Uh, I can watch it anytime. I will say, I don't actually like the unrated version all that much. Um, and I think the unrated version is the only version on Blu-ray. I think. Um, there's one gag in particular that I think is, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, is almost not ruined, but you know, Trevor, you know what they say? Like 95% of comedy is in the editing. So there's one moment in here that I think is ruined. And it's the moment where, uh, Jim Carrey is in the stall at the truck stop and he sees the, uh, graffiti on the, on the stall wall. And it says like, I forget, it's like, if you be here at seven thirty sharp for manly love or, or something like that. And he looks at his, his watch and he sees that it's seven twenty nine. <laughs> and then uh Seabast kicks open the door and Jim Carrey's scream, his gasp is so funny. It is amazing, but it's even better because I, I could be, I'm almost positive that in the theatrical he, he screams and it cuts back to Jeff Daniels. We it, he he has that scream that gasp and then it cuts away, which makes that scream and laugh like that moment even funnier. Where in the uh, unrated, it sticks in that scene for a little while, like Seabass has a line afterwards or something, and it, it 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 doesn't kill it, but it's not as good. So with that caveat that this is the unrated version, um, I still love the film, watch it up all the time, and uh, it's it's one of my go tos. So that's my my classy first D pick. That's a hell of a pick, Brad. Yeah, uh, I kind of wish uh, my my regular co-host uh, Kyle uh, was here because uh, he he adores that movie. Mm-hmm. He's watched it many many times. <laughs> I have I have two, um, but I think actually the Farrelly Brothers movie I saw the most, and this was just largely as a result of like the people I was in close proximity with. Was there something about Mary? Mm-hmm. Um, Dumb and Dumber is fantastic. I I do love it. Um, but I, I I don't know it frontwards and backwards, but the the select handful of scenes that I, I really latched onto early in life, oh man, they're they're amazing. Mm-hmm. They're ap- absolutely amazing. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I mean, even even small details like song choice when they're when they're blasting Low Rider when he's driving around yeah. in the, in the car, <laughs> like the dog car for some yeah. reason that just matches really perfectly with that. <laughs> And then uh, one that Kyle and I both mutually like appreciate is um, when Jeff Daniels is given the gun and when they show his reaction, like he's like holding it like sideways and upside <laughs> down, like after he's unloaded all the chambers of it, mm-hmm. <laughs> just something about his body language is absolutely perfect. Um, so many great scenes. And then the, the fantasy sequence, the dream sequence with Jim Carrey on the perfect day. Uh, capped off by a kung fu fight and whatnot. It's yep. like that masterfully put together. It's a, it's a terrific comedy. I, it's actually like maybe a good example of the kind of comedies that I I miss. 
Like I, I really, I feel like there's a lack of those movies out there where it's, it we're inundated with like improvised comedy and we have been for a really, really, really long time. Um, but I, I miss, I miss the Fairley brothers. I miss the Zucker brothers. I miss brother comedy apparently, but I, I miss those really tightly, like tightly constructed structured comedies that also had like some heart, but also were, were mostly just there to make you laugh at stupid shit. <laughs> it's like, I feel like a lot of comedies these days fall into like a couple of categories. One of which is the overly improvised one where it's just like, we hire funny people and then have them do shit on the set and fix it in post. Yep. Just assemble the film. There's no real script. They just assemble it based on the strength of the performers in the moment or whatever. Um, and then there's the like just vast umbrella of, of like pseudo rom-coms where it's like, it's somewhere in between like a, a relationship film and a comedy film. And then it gets dangerously into like schmaltzy territory or, or there's like some obligation that the movie needs to get serious at some point. It's like, no, I, I want my Seinfeld and I, I want my Seinfeld comedy where it's like there's not a serious bone in it. It's like I don't want friends where there's actual like relationship tension and stuff. Like, fuck that. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to follow a bunch of scummy New Yorkers that have zero empathy and have have, you know, misadventures across town. Like that's what I'm in for. Um, yeah. But yeah, Dumb and Dumber is fantastic. I, I am very much due for a rewatch on that one. And I've never, I was never even aware of there being an unrated cut. Although it sounds like maybe it's just not worth it. Yeah. I don't know if there's like, if there's a, if streaming, if there are theatrical cut is, uh, available anywhere or, or whatnot. But, um, I, I mean, this is the version I've watched for the last probably 10 years now. So I don't even know, um, when the last time I would have seen the theatrical was, uh, probably in the DVD era, but maybe even that was unrated. I don't know, but I'm uh, not, I'm vividly remember moments that are either like better in the theatrical or just like the, the unrated stuff is just, there was a reason it was cut initially. Like it's, it's fine, but it's not the strongest. Um, but the film itself, it, it is great. And, um, yeah, you're right. They don't make them quite like this anymore. Uh, I'm, you know, some of those like, uh, comedies nowadays where people are just riffing with each other like they can be okay but i i feel like uh hopefully we'll someday get back to that but the idea of like a comedy that is you know built from the ground up with its script and then i'm sure there was some improv in this movie i don't know how much or whatever but what jim carrey and jeff daniels brought they didn't bring in like you know one-liners necessarily they brought the comedy in their performance and added to what was already a, a great script and uh yeah it's it's been a while since we've had i mean i can't even think of the last movie i saw that was a comedy that was like oh that was a funny movie like hard recommend funny like there's stuff that's like yeah the humor was pretty good in it but nothing that is just like at this level i mean it's been a long time yeah, I mean you're you're more tuned into like the the comic comedic film scene these days um, than I am. Uh, I generally don't watch a lot of comedies, and a lot of it I think just comes down to maybe me just not being interested in that anymore, or just maybe there aren't that many good ones these days. <laughs> that seems to be the case, honestly. Is there's there's just a 
a difference in 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 tone and style that I, I'm just like I don't find this entertaining. I find I find a lot of it to just be noisy, mm-hmm. just a lot of noise. That's just like this is. I can I hate it when you can see someone like riffing or it's just uh, it can be very, very funny. Like it really can produce some amazing results. A lot of the Austin Powers movies, I know a lot of the material was improvised and it's only through an ungodly number of repetitions that they were able to, you know, get the end products that they did. Um, But again, that seems to like be curated like with a an eye for detail that maybe a lot of these these more modern ones just don't have, or maybe it has something to do with the scheduling. Um, I've always maintained that um, the international market has certainly uh, put some stress on the viability of comedies uh, because any movie is going to be an emotion. It's going to be a financial investment to to a degree, even a cheap film, um, and internationally like i would imagine crossing language barriers is a little difficult um which would devalue um writing uh, as an asset um mm-hmm. in favor of slapstick which is much more universal and will appeal to much broader audiences but uh dumb and dumber doesn't have that problem because it, it 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 covers a, a wide like a wide array of different comedic stylings but it it executes them all really really well yeah um it's 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 a fantastic movie that I, I really do want to go back and watch. And actually, I don't actually know if the uh, the, the girlfriend has watched it. Um, if she hasn't, uh, got to get on that shit. That, that, that's the truly relevant. Damn it. This is yeah. America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just avoid uh, uh, Dumb and Dumber and Dumb and Dumber 2, because uh, those ones definitely do not uh, recapture the magic. That That's for sure. Oh my god! I forgot that there was a Dumb and Dumber or two, yeah. T-O-O. Um, I presume it's a T-O-O. <laughs> I, I knew I, about I, Dumb I and Dumber. I think it's T-O. I think the of course it that's is. The, yeah, that's the, the that's, that's a good title. That is a good title. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it, I mean, it can't. It did did the cast members from Dumb and Dumber return to Dumb and Dumber or two? Because um, so, I did watch Dumb and Dumber, and that. Aside from Bob Saget, you know, rest in peace. Uh, yeah, that, that movie fucking sucks. Uh, yeah, Dumb and Dumber Two. Uh, Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels did come back for. So you at least had that. Um, I think there was maybe like two or three moments that were kind of funny. Like I kind of there were a couple gags in there, but overall, not not great. D- you know, clearly. Uh, I'm not going to say Jeff Daniels passed his prime because I still like think as a dramatic actor, he's still doing great work. Um, but I would say Jimmy Carey and the Farrelly brothers, uh, when they made that film bit past their prime and uh, it showed, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the original is still a classic. Well, I mean, the one Farrelly was busy winning best picture. Uh, Jim Carey was busy painting and Jeff Daniels was busy sitting on his high horse in the newsroom. Yeah. Um, that that show, man, <laughs> like that sh- show is made by good people, but something about the writing of that show just grinds my gears. Yeah, I never. <laughs> it's like, hang on, hang on. Th- this 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 pseudo intellectual newsman is quoting The Simpsons regularly. <laughs> it's like I know that happens in real life, and that probably is more true to life. 
but that's not why I'm watching an H. That's not why I'm watching HBO caliber television. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I do that in my daily life. I don't need my TV to do it at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never watched that one. Even though I'm a big uh, big fan of Jeff Daniels, so that that says something. Yeah, you and I have both expressed mutual appreciation for Jeff Daniels. I latched onto him from an early age, and I. I'll show up in most cases when I see Jeff Daniels. I I, I really do like him, but I'm not going to watch Dumb and Dumber 3. <laughs> I'm sorry. <Yeah>. No. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, that was Brad's first pick. Um, so I guess the ball is to me. Um, so I try my best to kind of play along with with brad's picks kind of develop some symmetry it's not going to happen sorry Uh, i don't have any comedies to work with Uh, however i do have something from the same decade (laughs) it's also a 90s film uh so my first uh d pick uh this month for tales from the shelf uh is actually a trilogy but it comes in a single slipcase which uh i don't know maybe upsetting to brad um Will you allow this, Brad? Uh, I'm going to need to see. I'm going to need to see it in action okay. here before I judge. Okay. Well, just just bear in mind, folks. Brad is prone to passing judgment on picks. Uh, he he is the judge. Uh, his, his opinion carries much weight in the court of tales from the shelf. Uh, so uh, I have here a, a trilogy box set in a single slipcase um, from uh, Universal. Uh, And this is uh, Darkman, the trilogy. Uh, And this, uh, I'm mostly talking about the first film, though I have seen all three of these films. Um, Only the first one's really that good. And even that's not amazing. Uh, But this first one was directed by Sam Raimi. Uh, And this was kind of a big deal for him. This was, I want to say, one of his like early forays into Hollywood proper, like as, as like a hired gun. And uh, I believe he got this gig like pretty much as like a he wanted to make the shadow a few years before they made the shadow <laughs> with Alec Baldwin. I believe Russell Mulcahy directed that the, the Highlander guy. Mm, yeah. Um, but he wanted to make the shadow. And in, instead, they created an original character, which actually is kind of cool. when you think about it, it's like this is a comic book superhero style movie, but with an original IP. Um, which I think is kind of neat. But this also includes the two direct-to-video sequels, which um, uh, in the first film, we get Liam Neeson, uh, the the nose himself, uh, Liam Neeson. I've always loved him um, as as the main character, Darkman. But in the sequels, he is portrayed by Arnold Vosloo, um, who, if that name doesn't ring a bell, uh, it's Imhotep uh, from the Mummy films. Um, Yeah, uh, so he's our hero in in dark man two and three um and the 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 two direct-to-video sequels aren't that great um i think the story goes and i'm not i don't have a browser open right now so i'm not monitoring this shit but i think the story goes that um uh dark man three die dark man die was supposed to come out first um but they switched the release order of them because I believe they were, filled, they were filmed parallel to each other, like they were filmed concurrently. Um, so they flipped the re- release order of them. But uh, Darkman 2, The Return of Durant, uh, features Larry Drake, uh, everybody's favorite Larry Drake, Dr. Giggles himself, 
um, as the villain uh, who mysteriously does not die after being exploded in Darkman one. Um, he returns <laughs> um, and uh, Jeff Fahey uh, from a uh, psycho three, I believe is it three Brad? I have not. I've only seen up to psycho two, so I, I cannot say. Okay, well, I believe Jeff did, Jeff Fahey's done a lot of shit, yeah. but I believe he was in Psycho 3. Okay. Uh, he plays the villain in the third Darkman, and his whole gimmick is that he has, um, uh, what's his face? Uh, I can't remember his name, but the Scottish fella from uh, The World Is Not Enough. Uh, he has his disease from The World Is Not Enough, mm. where he, he doesn't feel pain anymore, so it makes him super strong or some shit. Um, but yeah, uh, Darkman is a lot of fun. Uh I forget what VHS tape we had. I think it may have been, it may have been Lethal Weapon, um, Lethal Weapon Three specifically. I think it was that tape that I used to watch a lot when I was young, and the trailer for Darkman was on it. And I always thought it looked like the coolest fucking movie. And uh, the design of Darkman with the bandages. Um, a lot of people, a lot of comic book fans in particular, like to point out that the uh, Jeff Loeb character from Batman comics from the two thousands of Hush. Um, the character who um, Paul Dano's character in in the most recent The Batman, a lot of people thought he was going to end up being mm-hmm. um, Hush looks a lot like Darkman and it doesn't seem to be coincidental. It seems to be an homage. Um, but I like Darkman a lot. Uh, it's it's cheesy fun. It's very grossly uneven at times, but from a visual standpoint and an editing standpoint, it is Sam Raimi through and through like you, you, you feel him in the celluloid, like, like there's so many transitions and so many effect shots and so many uh, crash zooms that it's just like, it's pure Raimi. And it's really neat to see him like very early in his Hollywood proper career um, doing the same kind of shit that got him to the dance um, in a studio film. Um, and the performances are good all around. And, uh, you know, you get goofy Ted Raimi, you get Larry TV's Larry Drake, you get Liam Neeson um, punching people at carnivals. That's one of the most amazing sequences in film history. Yeah. <laughs> uh, him breaking, <laughs> drink the fucker golf. <laughs> <laughs> him breaking the dude's finger and like the crazy effect shot when they zoom into his eye. Um, I love Darkman. Um, it's, it's not a, it's never going to be a household name. It's not a fantastic film by any means, but it's one of those movies I I became aware of very, very early in life. Um, And it didn't let me down when I finally got around to seeing it. It was like it was good enough. And now I own it. Yeah, I uh, just watched the original for the first time uh, earlier this year. Um, I think I might have been streaming on Shudder at some point, I think. I don't know. But um, I, I I really was impressed with it. I kind of had low expectations but yeah like you said it's feels very much like a sam raimi film um it was just a very watchable fun direction um the carnival sequence is probably the highlight at least you know how many months on it's certainly the most memorable uh aspect of the film but uh i i had a real good time with it uh i think i even liked like the ending helicopter sequence i had fun with and yeah it was uh it was solid not solid enough to make me uh want to watch the uh sequels but it was uh it was it was a lot of fun watching it for the first time yeah i i uh, i could see why you wouldn't want to bother with the sequels because it like it gives you just enough 
And then, I mean, I guess there is like some novelty factor with the potential sequel tease at the end where you get your Bruce Campbell cameo. So like if you're if like maybe you didn't do your research and you were going into the sequels thinking like, oh, they're totally going to swap William Neeson out to be Bruce Campbell. (laughs) It's like, no, no, I'm sorry. He was he was busy doing what the Frisco kid or the Briscoe kid or whatever the fuck it was. Briscoe County Jr. He had a cowboy TV show in the 90s. (laughs) But um, yeah, the sequels are are absolutely nothing to write home about. Um, They're they're fine. Um, but they are a noticeable step down in Odi. Arnold Vosloo is is a fine choice for Darkman. I mean, he seems to have a lot of experience wearing heavy makeup appliances, so that may have been partially what got him the role. Um, but yeah, they're they're nothing special, so you're not missing anything. Um, the yeah, uh, the set you have there is that uh, how many discs are we talking? Oh. Uh, <laughs> I believe it's... that is where I will potentially judge you. Oh, I, 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 I may have to consider myself judged because we have only two discs for three films. Oof. And I well, don't believe I, the transfers on the sequels were very good at all. <laughs> is that that might be because I know they have a standalone release for. Uh, I know they do have individual. uh releases for Darkman two and three so yeah it's a little little gross a little gross but uh i'll give it to you i'll give it to you because you know you only really care about the the first one and that one does have its own disc so it's kind of like you're just like yeah i might as well get the trilogy set because i don't care that much about two and three so not too bad not too bad if it was like the first one was on a disc with two or something like that or God forbid, I don't even know if this would be possible, but all three on one disc, that would be despicable. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, that that would be just cut the cut the feed. <laughs> but no, in, in this case, it, this was me saving a couple bucks because I, I had never heard anything particularly good about the sequels, but I'd always been aware of them. They did have them at like my local grocery store, like video rental section. So I always knew about them. And when they released all of them at once, I was like, you know, like I, I know for a fact what I want Darkman, but I'm also just curious enough about these other two. Plus, I was like, I forget what was going on, but I think I was watching some other Jeff Fahey stuff at the time. So I was like, sure, let's keep that train rolling. But yeah, it, it's a little wonky. I, I believe the transfers on two and three are not great. So that probably explains how they're able to cram them both onto one disc. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's enough about Dark Man and Dark Man Two: The Return of Durant and Dark Man Three: Die, Dark Man, Die, trademark, registered trademark. <laughs> uh, Brad, uh, what is your next D pick? I'll mention uh, another somewhat classy pick to go along with um, Dumb and Dumber. Uh, this one, this one actually is maybe classy because it is part of the Criterion Collection, and it is Don't Look Now. Don't look now. And uh, let me tell you, you should look now at this movie because this is a pretty good, uh, pretty good flick. So I would say do look now. They should change the title from don't look now to do look now because you should watch it. Uh, um, this movie, I've seen it twice and I like it a lot. I, I don't love it. I, I want it's a movie. Sometimes you watch a movie and you want to love it more than you actually do. This is one of those movies. So it's Donald Sutherland and uh, b- 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 Julie Christie. 
uh, who apparently they were married at the time or they were in a relationship together. Um, but they star as a husband and wife whose daughter uh, tragically dies and looking for a new start. They move uh, to somewhere in Europe. Uh, I forget where somewhere in Europe. Let's say Venice. Uh, yeah, they do move to Venice. <laughs> oh, uh, I remember this movie more than I thought. Um, but they move to Venice and they end up uh, meeting with a psychic. And basically they start having these uh, visions. Donald Sutherland starts seeing uh, a young girl running around in a red raincoat, which is what his daughter was wearing when she drowned. And he's thinking, is this am I seeing the ghost of my daughter? What's going on here? And it kind of goes from there. It's, uh, I, I don't know. I, I can't figure out why I don't love it because the ending is amazing. The ending is like awesome. But I think maybe it's just, you know, it's kind of a, a bit of a mood piece. Um, thankfully, uh, I, I don't have any children and I, I don't have any children who have tragically drowned. So I, I can't relate, I guess, too much to what they're going through. So maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Maybe uh, if I do have kids, maybe I'd like this movie even more. Maybe it'd be even more tragic, but uh, great performances. It's directed by Nicholas uh, Rogue, Nicholas Roeg. I've, I've never. Um, but uh, I've only seen a handful of his films. Like he did the Roald Dahl movie, The Witches as well. I think is the only other of his movies I've seen. But uh, this one is good. It's it's well-directed. Uh, Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie are great. Uh, there's an infamous uh, sex scene between the two. And I don't know if it's ever been confirmed or if it's been denied. But since they were together at the time, uh, people have said the rumor is that what you're watching on screen in this movie is uh, unsimulated. Uh, so if you if that's your thing, if, you, if you're if you're into watching Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie, get it on in their prime, then you pretty much only have don't look now to watch. So <laughs> check it out. <laughs> Jesus. Ah. Um, I think you may have mentioned this one to me before, but beyond that, it's, it's totally off my radar, but um, so this is a criterion pick you say. Yep. It is a part of the criterion collection. Um, I, it is, I would say it is a horror movie, but it's okay very psychological it's um not quite it's you know it's not like uh it's not like the conjuring or something you know but uh it it, it is a it is an interesting film like just the setting the venice setting is really cool um of course you got the criterion fold out giant thing um but yeah i i would recommend it uh i mean i don't know if it's like totally something that'd be up your alley. But if you don't know much about it and you don't know the ending, I would say do, do look now before you get the ending spoiled. Do look now because I did, uh, I, before I saw this movie, I did know the ending even the first time I saw it. And I wonder if I didn't know the ending, like this could have been a game changer. Let's be honest because it is a good ending. And okay. I wonder if I didn't know what, how it ended. Like my life could have turned out completely differently. It could have changed my life, but Damn. fortunately uh, it didn't. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's quite good. It's, uh, it's, it's a good one. 
Okay, well, I, I guess I'll need to get on it uh, before I have it spoiled because I, I don't know the ending. I don't know much of anything about it. However, I, I do really like Donald Sutherland, like just in general, mm-hmm. uh, very, I guess, similar to Jeff Daniels. I just, I just like the guy. Like I'll watch him in pretty much anything. And he pops up in the damnedest of places. <laughs> you watch a lot of him in this movie, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Apparently, we get some thrusting in. <laughs> yeah. um, Let's just say uh, all men back then were very hairy. <laughs> it was the style so, of the time, Brad. <laughs> Burt Reynolds was kind of the guy. He was the it yep. guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Elliot Gould, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, that's funny though, because it's so it's more of a psychological horror. So I wonder if Donald Sutherland did any other horrors in the seventies, because I mean he's had an incredible long career, and he often is tapped to play creepy fuckers, especially mm-hmm. when he got a little older. Um, yeah, because like Invasion of the Body Snatchers is like the first one that comes to mind. Also, great ending. Um, oh yeah, fantastic ending. I saw that movie when I was pretty young. That was a dad pick. Dad was like, hey, yeah, you're roughly of age. Like, you'll figure it out. <laughs> it's like, okay, this movie's pretty intense, dad. Um, but yeah, I guess I'll have to get on it uh, because if, I mean, if it's potentially life-changing, good ending, <laughs> crazy ending, then obviously I need to put that at the top of my list. I can't be bothered to watch all this fucking Ultraman over here. I need to divert all my resources into watching an obscure foreign criterion film that has a really good ending. <laughs> so says my friend, the judge, Brad. Well, well, I mean, let me just say that it, like right now it's a four out of five, but if I didn't know the ending, we're ta- it probably would be a five out of five. Like that's how, that's how good the ending is. Um, Holy shit. But maybe, maybe I'm overhyping it. Maybe you'll watch it and you'll be like, yeah, you're you're overhyping the ending, but I mean, it doesn't matter if you didn't know how it was going to end. It's you know, it's about the same. But I don't know. I, if it, if it, I can find if if I can find like a an, a good isolated audio um, from the movie Big, I, I need to get Tom Hanks or what's his face, Mister uh, Peter McAllister, the father, uh, in the movie Big, saying, "I don't get it." <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be my review of "Don't Look Now." Just to spite you, Brad, it's gonna be a two star that says I didn't get it. <laughs> well, I would say if if you don't want to get it spoiled, here's here's what you got to just make sure you do not watch the uh, mid two thousands Bravo show, the one hundred scariest movie moments, because that's where I got it spoiled. Do not watch that show from 15 years ago. Do not. You can watch the new version on Shudder because that was not listed. But in the Bravo version, it did make the cut. So there you go. That's where they spoiled it. Okay. Yeah, uh, folks at home, if you're not aware, uh, Brad on the Cinema Speak podcast, uh, he's been doing, I mean, he had a hell of an October for horror-themed films, but it's carried on into Horror-vember. Horror-vember, yeah. Um, Do you have a pet name for December as well? Or is it just November. No, it's uh, then then you have death December. Death December. Um, and then uh, it continues with January scary. Uh, oh, I like that. February, February. Fuck. And then uh, March, is, March is when it ends. March is when it ends. It just <laughs> turns into March. You can't really do much of March. Mar- so. Mar- just March. <laughs> 
and no. frog. No. Um, so, yeah. So Brad has been doing his uh, horror Vember picks, and uh, on his show, the Cinema Speak podcast, they do micro reviews, and Brad has been keeping up with those and also reporting about watching that um, hundred uh scariest moments 101 scariest movie moments of all time very catchy title Uh, yeah so he was he was making liberal references to that throughout the past couple of months um that did that stuff i like countdown shows like that i kind of missed that like i haven't had cable in forever but um one of my favorite like after school things was a lot of those like vh1 or or e network Mm -hmm. Uh, countdown shows that were all over the place in the 2000s i could see that one being a lot of fun uh, yeah in fact i would totally watch it mm-hmm. yeah it's worth checking out it's a it's a fun one some despicable picks in the top 10 but we won't get into that yeah i'm, I'm sure I, I look forward to hearing about it uh, if you choose to share that on your show mm-hmm. but, um okay well thanks for that that was that's an interesting pick i'll have to i'll have to dog gear that for viewing sooner rather than later um, but I suppose the pick is to me. Um, so this one's actually a no brainer. Um, like I said, I try to match Brad move for move here just to, you know, just for funsies. That uh, makes my job a little easier when it comes to the selection process. So um, I have here a movie that doesn't mean a whole lot to me personally. <laughs> um, in fact, I didn't choose to add this to my collection. This was a gift from my regular co-host, Kyle. Um, but it was a very, very nice gift um, and a very, very good movie. But again, not one that I'm emotionally attached to, um, but is also part of the Criterion Collection, which is why I'm selecting it right now. Uh, so this would be uh, Bill Duke's uh, Deep Cover. Whoa, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Star- starring, uh, does it say Lawrence or Larry? Oh, he's still Larry. I like Larry Fishburne. <laughs> I, I I do like that that he actually officially like made a transition into Lawrence Fishburne. Mm-hmm. But early in his career, he was Larry, and it says here, Larry Fishburne. Uh, also has uh, Jeff Goldblum. Um, as I said, it's directed uh, by Bill Duke. Um, which prior to watching this movie, I actually wasn't aware that he was a film director, let alone a Criterion caliber film director. I mostly just knew him from Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and. Uh, mandy <laughs> but uh this is a this is a terrific uh undercover cop film uh, it has a, a grimy edge to it and also the uh the cover art here is very very accurate to the aesthetic of the film it's not it's not a nicholas winding refn film by any means but there there are some truly astounding shots and some very creative lighting at work a lot of interesting colored lighting and, and interesting like dutch angles and um kind of eccentric edits and whatnot throughout the film that give it give it a very i don't know new neo noir almost like european vibe at times a very handsome film with a lot of handsome people in it um but yeah it's a nice little uh, undercover cop thriller um it gets pretty fucking nuts towards the end um where you know the characters specifically larry fishburne's characters allegiances are kind of just like We've we've gone from white to black to now we are thoroughly in the gray and he, he doesn't really know who he is anymore. And kind of the insanity of the character development follows suit with the narrative of the overall film. Um, like I said, I, I I don't have any particular like affinity for this film or the or the filmmaker. Um, but this was this was a fun watch. It was a nice it was a very nice gift. Um and yeah, it's part of the Criterion Collection. So I felt that that would be a good pick to 
to match Brad's uh, don't look now. And that I think is a pretty new release, right? Within the last couple of years. Cause I feel like maybe I'm misremembering, but I think I remember when we did a uh, monthly Blu-ray recap, I feel like you kind of dog-eared that one at some point. Like, yeah, I, it had to have been within the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm just going to do a, a plug that nobody's going to hear right now. Um, we have a, a lovely video store slash like media museum here in the Seattle area. Um, Scarecrow video that also they have a YouTube channel. I, I just became aware of not that long ago. Um, Kyle and I were just like walking through there. Uh, it was one of the rare instances where he was like just in town and we were just hanging out together. Um, and we were walking through there and he just like kind of out of the blue was like, Hey, I'm going to get you a movie. And you don't have any say as to what it is. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, fine. So we apparently he wandered through the criterion selections. And uh, this was this was the one he grabbed um, because he liked all the people involved. And uh, he puts a lot of stock in the criterion collection and their you know curation of quality films, which is important to him. Not so much to me, the guy with all the Ultraman box sets in the background. <laughs> I don't watch a lot of good movies, Brad. This this is this is very clearly uh, the handiwork of someone else. <laughs> hey, I mean, however, however you get to it, it doesn't matter whether it was your pick or Kyle's pick. It doesn't matter. It's just like Metallica says, if if you find Metallica through Stranger Things, they're a OK with that. They got no judgment. So if you. Uh, you know, open up your Ultraman and you got a copy of uh, Deep Cover in there. Well, that's that's fine. That's uh, however you find the film is OK as long as you get there. I wonder how they felt about that. What was it? Avril Lavigne cover of theirs at one of those award shows back in the day. Oh. <laughs> I remember seeing I remember seeing a clip of that and being like, you know, I'm not even a huge Metallica fan, but this doesn't sit right with me. <laughs> like, this just feels dirty. Yeah, that they probably didn't <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, eh, there is a line. Yeah, and, and there it yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, no, that does sound like uh, I, I, I mean, I kind of want to watch that movie. I, I got to be honest, Trevor, I'm kind of pissed at you right now because I literally just... <laughs> I literally just uh, I literally just <laughs> I invite my... you to hang out with me on the stream and you start shitting on me. <laughs> no, I just because I literally just placed my uh, Criterion Barnes and Noble 50 percent off order. And uh, I, I know I knew about that film, but it uh, wasn't sold to me uh, until just now. Like you, you've sold it more than any anything else. And uh, I, too, I already made my purchase, though, so it's too late. So I guess I got to wait till next time. So I'm pissed. No, I'm sorry, bud. Uh, I mean, <laughs> see, this is why they this is why they got to start paying us so we can start shilling products for people because apparently we're good at it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I bought enough uh, Criterion's, so I didn't I didn't need any extras. So maybe I should be thanking you. But um, that one I I might add to my um to my list. Maybe in one of the next sales, I'll uh, pick her up. So is Bill Duke? Uh, uh, is Bill Duke? He's not in it at all, is he? It's been a while since I watched it. I don't think so, though. If he's in it, it's very little. Okay. But I I don't remember him being in there. But he's always welcome. I mean, he's oh, he's yeah. a he's a wonderful screen presence. I mean, literally every word that comes out of his mouth in Predator is quotable. Mm-hmm. Same with Commando, for that matter. <laughs> but Bill Duke's just awesome. I mean, for fuck's sake, I think he even shows up in uh, 
it might be Exit Wounds, the Steven Seagal and DMX headlined uh, cop movie. Pretty sure he's like the chief in that movie. And he talks some shit to Steven Seagal, which is always a good thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's cool. He's the man. I, I love Bill Duke when he pops up in movies. So, yeah, yeah, it was neat seeing him and Mandy. Um, it was it was like one of those like, oh, what's he doing here? It's like, I mean, I don't have a problem with it, but it's, it's like, wow, it's been a minute. <laughs> but but yeah, this was the movie that made me aware of the fact that he is a filmmaker. And like I said, apparently a very respected and quality one. Um, so maybe it's that's on me to do some do some more digging into his filmography. Um, but that's enough about deep cover. Um, that was a good little chat. But Brad, uh, what is a what is your next D pick? Well, I'm gonna do uh, I'm gonna call an audible here. I'm gonna do uh, actually two together because they're thematically, well, maybe not thematically, but uh, they're similar in terms of uh, content and genre. And maybe it's just because I've been on a bit of a uh, a Chucky kick with the uh, I watched through the franchise and I'm currently uh, waiting for that season finale to drop and uh, just uh, just tomorrow the season finale of Chucky. But I got two killer doll movies, two killer doll movies, both of them starting with a D. So I'll just throw them both out together. Why not? The first one. Killer doll movie starts with a D. What do you think it's going to be called? Yeah, it's called Dolls. Dolls, which is a <laughs> Scream Factory release uh, directed by Stuart Gordon, who I is he is he the one that did uh, uh, Reanimator or am I? Am I right? Yeah, on and uh, from from beyond. Yeah, also, I think. yeah. So what a guy. Love him. Uh, <laughs> and I also have Dolly Dearest which uh, is a uh, vinegar syndrome release pick both of these up because I'm a, I'm a big killer doll fan. Uh, just because, just because I, I like seeing how they pull it off. I like how they pull off the effects, you know, whether it's through um, having uh, stop motion or puppetry or uh, having a, a little person dress up as a doll, you know, that kind of thing. I love all that kind of stuff. Um, dolls is pretty good. Um, I believe this one is more like, uh, very, very small dolls. I, I, so I think it's, it's a lot of puppetry and stop motion. Um, one of the best things about the movie is 77 minute runtime. I mean, this thing is in and out. doesn't overstay. It's welcome. But the one thing I do remember is that, uh, I could have used more dolls. I could have, for a movie called dolls, I could have used more dolls. I, that's the one thing I remember. <laughs> Like sitting here, like, yeah, all right. Whenever the dolls show up, this is great. But everything in between is kind of garbage. It's it's a bit of a like kind of like I feel like it's a if I remember, it's like a group of people that get stuck in a house with like a bunch of dolls somehow. I think there's like a storm and they they, the only house is a doll with this old lady lives there. and She's got all these dolls. I don't know, something like that. I'm probably way off. But that's kind of that's kind of the setup. Uh, Dolly Dearest, uh, it is notable because it does have Denise Crosby in here, um, who uh, is in Pet Cemetery. Love her in that. Uh, maybe not love her, but I love Pet Cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> Don't love Dolly Dearest. Uh, this is uh, bought in my early Vinegar Syndrome days before I uh, kind of knew what it was like. I think it was one of my first purchases from them. 
wasn't the best purchase. It might be the worst Vinegar Syndrome title I own. Uh, it's not good at all. Uh, this one, I think it's something with, uh, I don't even remember how the doll. So they, yeah, they go to Mexico and, uh, they, the family, the, the dad starts work. He takes over a doll factory and I believe the doll factory is, uh, cursed and that leads to the, the doll. I, I don't know. It, it doesn't matter, but, uh, also featuring rip torn rip torn is in here. So I think that's what sold me. I'm like killer dolls, Denise Crosby, rip torn. This has got to be great. And it's not. Um, and also not many, uh, not many bonus features for vinegar syndrome only have, uh, interview with Denise Crosby and actor Ed Gale. That's about it. So pretty disappointing release. I have to say, um, not my favorite vinegar syndrome release dolls is definitely the better film. Um, but even that is not all that great, but I guess the last thing it is notable that, uh, maybe I don't want to say this on the record, but scream factory accidentally, uh, I remember they did a thing where they accidentally, for some reason, shipped out with one of their sales. They like sent out two copies of like movies to people. And I remember I was not the only one, like it was on like blu-ray.com in the forums. Like people were like, I got two copies of this. I got two copies of this. What's going on? And I got two copies of dolls. So this is the copy of dolls that I opened and watched. Um, and you know, you got the reversible artwork in there. You got that. Yeah, there we go. Um, but one of them I kept in the shrink wrap and scream factory did reach out after they sent like they sent an email and they said, we accidentally shipped you two of the same movie. Would you mind shipping uh, one of them back? And I was like, Oh, that was nice of them to ask, but no, I didn't do it. Of course not. I, I, I mean, what are they going to do? <laughs> so, <laughs> so they, I mean, it's not, it's not my fault. They sent me to it's I, I'm not going to go to the post office and I'm not going to go through all that. No. So, uh, it, this is notable because uh, the, this is out of print now, and oh. I have an unopened sealed copy that uh, could fetch me quite a bit of uh, do-re-mi, and I just have not uh, gotten around to selling it, but the only hesitation is I worry that uh, they're going to announce a 4K, and then my value will plummet, so I need to make sure I get that out of here before uh, they do that, but I don't know if there's that much of a demand for uh, dolls 4k. But now that I'm putting it out there in the world, I'm actually uh, sweating a little bit that this could get announced any second because this is an old release. So it's, it's possible. Well, just start creating some uh, phony accounts and like maybe some bots or something and start spamming like negative reviews of dolls. Just be like, there you go. Talk about the film itself, not the quality of the transfer, because that would actually prompt yeah. them to, address it you know by creating a new release or something just be, oh there's no reason to ever ever reprint dolls like nobody ever seen yeah just see a doll fuck that <laughs> <laughs> yeah ah, gotta drive wow. that demand down yeah yeah for real man um that's cool story bro <laughs> um yeah i'm i'm somewhat aware of both of those films i i don't know a whole lot about them um was it dolls I became aware of through one of the in search of darkness, uh, documentaries, those, uh, okay. four hour eighties horror documentaries. Um, I speaking of which, I think the third one's shipping in January, looking forward to that. Um, yet yeah, I think it was featured on maybe the second one. 
Um, and it's just like a, a couple minute sequence about it. And the one thing that jumped out at me about it was I think there's stop motion in there. And it looked pretty, pretty good quality for, for, you know, what I assume is a very low budget. Is that a, is that a Charles band film? I'm just curious um, uh, from a producing standpoint. Let's see. Uh, he, he's known for having a thing about little, little critters. Like, like that's, all, yeah. that's like his whole brand is little things trying to hurt people. <laughs> yep. Executive producer, uh, Charles band and produced by Brian Usna. That makes sense. So, I, I, you and I've had this there. discussion before where I, I get my wires crossed when it comes to Brian Usna and Stuart Gordon. Um, they, they work on each other's stuff a lot and I, I misattribute things to either or on occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do know that Charles band uh, produced reanimator at the very least. So he probably, he and Stuart Gordon are probably buddies or were buddies. Um, yeah, all the only thing I know about dolls is that I mean Stuart Gordon's a pretty quality director. He does he does a lot with a little, um, and I do remember there being some pretty high quality stop motion in there. Dolly Dearest, uh, I only know of that because uh, there's a YouTube account called a uh, uh, his name is Brandon Tenold, I think, um, and he he reviews he he like came to fame reviewing Godzilla movies and the like. Um, but in more recent days, he basically reviews pretty much all the vinegar syndrome stuff. Um, mm. He also has a Patreon who, who you know, people vote to select which movies he reviews. But like, um, what's the uh, Lucio or uh, is it Lucio Fulci or Dario Argento who you just watched like a, a fantasy film from on the Cinema Speak podcast? That would be Fulci. I'm Fulci. guessing for That's, Conquest. There you go. Yeah, he reviewed Conquest yeah. like a month mm. ago. Um, okay. And Dolly Dearest was a while ago, um, and it looked pretty fucking bad. Uh, yeah, I, I can I can see why that would be like an early acquisition that you're just like, this looks dumb. I'll pick this up, and then it's like, oh, Vinegar Syndrome isn't. They weren't what they are now, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> like in terms of the caliber of film that they're acquiring these days. Yeah, bit of a bit of a mistake on my part. Um, but, you know, if eventually the goal, I mean, of course, the goal is with all movie collectors, I'm sure, to own every movie ever made. Um, so, you know, eventually you have to you're going to have to buy it eventually. So might as well just get it, get it now and get it over with. So there you go. That might be a philosophical difference between the two of us. Perhaps. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> because, I mean, like part of the reason I like to do this show with you, Brad, is that like we we both have movie collections and the reason why these conversations I find are, are so easy to have are, is just because like there's usually a reason why people have the things that they have, like at a glance, like you may be able to like suss out like what the meaning is behind the acquisition or whatever. But like, if you actually like poke people about things they choose to have around them, if they don't have an answer, then that could, you could be heading into hoarding territory, which I do have people in my orbit that that is the case. And it's, it's, you know, they're crossed to bear in my case though. It's like it, it this, this is curated like uh, greatly. In fact, like I, I call like, like outliers uh, from, from my, my shelf very frequently. Like I, I yeah. just like pour over it and I'm just like, you know what? this doesn't belong here. Like this just doesn't feel like it has any reason to be here. And sometimes like 
I don't know, like a friend or like my dad or, or something will just like give me some movies. Like they'll just like find them at a thrift store. They'll be like, you you have movies. You'll 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 like this. And in almost every case, I'd either never watch it or I get rid of it because I'm just like, I didn't I didn't choose to bring that into my shelf. And it, it just throw it back happen. at their face. I mean, I would do that, but it is my fucking dad. <laughs> that, would, that would be kind of that would be what a little are you thinking? rude. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much <laughs> this is some valuable shit this dvd i found in a value village somewhere <laughs> it's like no it's really not but <laughs> thanks mm-hmm. for thinking about me but but no like my my shelf it, the, the i i have no intention of of owning every movie ever or even like completing a lot of catalogs or anything like i don't I don't have every Ultraman that Mill Creek has put out because frankly, there are a lot of Ultraman that kind of fucking bite. Like it's just not that good. So I don't need them. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was pretty much joking when I said every movie ever, but I do have a little bit of a, like, I know it would never happen, but a desire to like to own every vinegar syndrome title. Like that is, I know it would never happen, but like that is something where it's like, you know, that would, I would like that. I would like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I uh I I do have some some like labels or or other types of collections that there is like a desire to be completionist about it, but it's like it's very specific. And and to have like the whole vinegar syndrome catalog would be one extremely expensive. <laughs> um but two also pretty fucking cool. Um and I do know um I think it's Brian uh from the Movies for Life podcast. We talked to them Exactly once. That was really nice. I hope we can do it again. Um, I, I believe he's uh, in the process of like gobbling up all the Fun City Editions releases. One of the partner labels, I think. From That's Vinegar right. Syndrome. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And apparently he's discovered a lot of really cool movies uh, just by keeping that going, like like keeping that completionist streak going. So, you know, adventures in collecting. That's the whole reason we do the, the fucking show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's you know, watching classy movies from fun city editions with his completionist thing. And, uh, my completionist thing is the Vestron video collection series. So I'm watching chopping mall and blood diner and, uh, uh, Perry, the, the wraith Waxworks one and two maximum overdrive, you know, extreme prejudice classics dream, uh, a little I, the- dream, the Iron Circle. <laughs> yeah. Now, if I even watch, if I'd even watched half of those that I just listed, most of them I haven't watched. But you know, anyway, I mean, we don't need yes. to get into that. Such <laughs> is the life of a collector. Um, I mean, we did, uh, we did the backlog boogie at least once, maybe twice here on Tales from the Shelf. Twice, yeah, I think we've done it twice. We maybe do for a third because I, I. Only problem with my backlog is it's mostly the same. <laughs> It hasn't really changed in probably three years. So maybe like maybe I'll I'll have to wait till I, I plow through things a little bit more before that'll be interesting. I could just open my Black Friday bag from Best Buy and we'd have a whole episode. <laughs> well, you could also make your own video out of that though. Like that's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, maybe maybe think on that. <laughs> okay, so is it my pick? I forget. Yeah, it's my pick. Get out of here, Brad. You're banished to the the lower dimension. <laughs> I just wanted to try that out. Okay, so uh, you did your one-two punch of two doll movies. Um, so I have two options here. 
at least that makes sense to me. Um, that would be uh, another trilogy slipcase. Uh, sorry, Brad. I hope that doesn't make you throw up in your mouth at all. Oh God! Uh, <laughs> or a uh, or a two pack, like a, a also a pairing of two films uh, that are actual direct sequels to each other. Okay, we're doing the slip cover. Uh, why not? This one is from Mill Creek Entertainment, uh, oh. the, the aka the best label uh, in in Blu-ray distribution. Um, so this is once again a triple set in a single slipcase. And uh, this is uh, an outmoded release because uh, Arrow has since put out their own version of this, I believe. Um, and I presume it's of a much higher quality than this. <laughs> <laughs> I have to assume. Uh, I, 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 I kid uh, Mill Creek Entertainment. They're responsible for all that Ultraman. So I, I can't completely shit on them. Just a little bit. Uh, so I have here uh, the Daimajin box set. Mm. Uh, and mm-hmm. this includes uh, Daimajin, Return of Daimajin, and Daimajin Strikes Again. Um, now, if you're not familiar with this, essentially uh, what Daimajin is, is it's kind of similar to like a Japanese version of the, the ancient Hebrew or Jewish tale of the golem. Um, very, very similar. It takes place in feudal Japan, though, so like in the Warring States period. Um, and there are three different films that are all very, very similar. Um, they all have wonderful effects work from the 1960s era of uh, Japanese tokusatsu cinema, so lots of men in rubber monster costumes, lots of miniature work. However, uh, one of the cooler aspects of uh, the miniature work in this film is the scale. Uh, so this figure, the Daimajin character, um, is like 25 feet tall, maybe 30. So like King Kong sized, maybe even a little bit smaller, honestly. Um, so the scale of the miniatures have to match that. Um, and as a result, the detail has to be amplified because when you make a larger, when you make a quote larger like miniature that's of a different scale, you can get away with having less minute detail in it. So like the surfacing details and like the tiling and stuff for like, say a Godzilla movie from the nineties or something doesn't have to be as intricate um, as something like this. That's of a smaller scale. Um, So a lot of, a lot of the like miniature work in this is really, really cool to look at. Um, It's also neat to see the way that they film the way the creature or the monster interacts with human characters. Like they find a lot of workarounds for like, whether it be like compositing or using literal dolls and stuff in, in place of human actors, really cool stuff. Also the Daimajin character has a, I don't know, it's a intrinsically Japanese vibe to it where it's like it, it, it is the story of the golem where it kind of, it goes rampant and it just kind of cuts loose and becomes uncontrollable at some point. But there's a, there's a meanness uh, to the way this thing behaves um, and the way it just it just unleashes wrath on people that's uh, somewhat foreign uh, to this this particular subgenre. You don't often see monsters in these movies be so direct and wrathful <laughs> in their actions. Um, but yeah, it's three different movies. I don't remember the transfers being bad, um, although I have to assume the Arrow versions are of a higher caliber. Um, but yeah, they're all three three different movies under eighty minutes each. Uh, so very digestible watches. Um, but yeah, this was this was a fun one. This was a fun opportunity for me because I had read extensively about these films um, from 
uh, Die A Studios, which I believe went bankrupt in the 70s. Um, but they got better, uh, as a lot of Japanese companies do. Um, they they were responsible for the Gamera films, um, but they also made these um, in the 60s or the 70s, I believe. Yeah, 60s. Um, and this was this was my opportunity to check these out like properly because I had read about them quite a lot before this Blu-ray uh, was you know released in in our region. Um, and by the way, a fun uh, fun little trivia factoid: uh, Gamera is apparently coming back. Uh, Gamera is back in Pog form. No, um, he's a. Uh, they're making a, a animated version of the character for Netflix, which that doesn't sit well with me. Like that's not, it's not what I want. It's like, no, I I don't want an animated Gamera. I want, I want guy in rubber suit, man. Like, like give us, give a, where is Babu? Show me Babu. (laughs) But I I mean, any Gamera is, is nice, but unfortunately it's going to be animated. Um, I don't know if the Godzilla anime was like a rousing success at Netflix or something. And that's what triggered it. Hear that, or just anime is the style of the day, but you know we're getting Gamera, so I mean, cool. <laughs> it could be you could look at it two ways. It could be a good thing because it could potentially drum up interest, which could lead to a live action film, or it could be a bad thing because it could be like, well, there they got their Gamera fix with that, and now we're not gonna, you know, we're now we're not gonna do a live action. Film. So it could be good or bad. Um, I guess it just depends on if you're an optimist or a pessimist. <laughs> uh, largely a pessimist when it comes <laughs> to stuff like this, or it's it's like you know, th- there is a there is a problem that started to happen these days with a lot of like long spanning franchises. Like one, the kids love their multiverses. Multiverses are here to stay and everybody's peanut butter is getting in everybody's chocolate. That's just the style right now. Uh, Japanese IP owners in particular are going nuts with this shit. We're just like every character from every franchise we've got is mixed with every other character out there from every other company. So it's just like there it's fucking Thunderdome. There are no rules. And it's very, very frustrating just because it's like more isn't always better. Like some sometimes you you just need to cut it. Just like like sometimes you just need to respect what you have and value what you have rather than constantly ask for more. Because inevitably, like no matter how good something is, if you keep making more of it, eventually you're gonna stumble. Eventually you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna fuck up, and potentially you could fuck up in a way that damages the quality of the things that came before. And then we're entering into uncomfortable territory where it's like. I, it, I'm finding it harder to to value the things that I I traditionally value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what's tough, man. I mean, that's that's the era that we're in, though. I mean, you gotta you gotta just roll with the punches, I guess, and deal with it. I, I um, guess it, it it's it's an icky feeling, feeling yeah, like, kind of I don't know, beholden to to all these producers of content and whatnot where it's like it at some point i think i'm i myself anyway like i've gotten pretty good at just like recognizing when something isn't for me anymore or it's just like i don't need this anymore it's like they're still making it but you know it's like uh ninja turtles where it's like ninja turtles never stopped 
like Ninja mm-hmm. Turtles, it just it just kept rolling. I just stopped caring. And then yeah. every once in a while, I become aware that it's still around. I'm like, that shit's still around. <laughs> oh, I still don't need that. <laughs> <It's just Yeah. laughs> well, so Daimajin, is it only the three movies, though? Like, is did they ever like did they ever cash in on it after the fact? Or is it just the three movies and that's it? They may have like made some form of follow up in like the 2000s or fairly recently. Um, but for the most part, I think it's just three movies. Like they did, they didn't turn it into like a Godzilla or a Gamera where it was like every year on the year, we're going to try to make something new. It was basically yeah. just the three movies. And I think a lot of that came down to the studio because if memory serves, Daie actually like did go bankrupt at one point because um, the Gamera movies, like I think they got into the early seventies, um, but it was, they were starting to get really hairy like they, they, it was starting to look raggedy like we're we're getting into clip show territory very similar to the godzilla franchise like i think the japanese economy in the early 70s was not doing well um I, I seem to remember reading that that there was like a bubble economy situation going on over there and toho is an institution like they they they're bulletproof at this point as far as i know the the fucking japanese government would most certainly bail them out there they are a cultural institution Die. <laughs> like we don't give two shits about that. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure like they, they tanked in the early seventies. And um, as a result, like if they still held the rights to Daimajin, I don't think they were shopping them around at the time. So um, may not have been by choice, but in some ways it's probably for the best, especially considering how repetitive these movies are. Cause it is very, they, they are different, but they are very, very similar to each other. Hmm. Yeah, I remember, I think when the Arrow set came out, you had mentioned it to me or we talked about it and uh, I was intrigued. I didn't I did not know there was a Mill Creek version that you owned. Maybe you mentioned that and I forgot. But hmm. anyway, no, it's it's not on my coffee table. It's not like, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not like the first thing you see when I when you walk into my house or the first thing I advertise to people when I invite yeah. them to my home. But uh, yeah, it was it was the right price. And also, you know, for me personally, it was a, it was a hell of a get because I was well aware of these movies. I've ref- I've referenced it before, but uh, there was a website I used to go to a lot um, in my middle school, high school days called uh, Stomp Tokyo.org, I think. And they specialized in Daikaiju cinema and uh just like schlock cinema from like the sixties and seventies. They also reviewed the Sunny Chiba street fighter movies on there. And I remember they had like five star reviews for all three of the Daimajin films. Um, wow. And then bad, badmovies.org I think maybe also covered them as well. So like as far as tokusatsu, like Daikaiju films from that era, they're very well respected. Um, so I was very excited to have an opportunity to watch them and they didn't let me down. They're very good. Nice. Yeah, I I would like to watch them or at least watch the first one at some point um, just for the effects. I think I, I would get a yeah, I would like a lot. Yeah, the, the period detail is fun, too. Yeah, like the it is, it is, you know, a period setting with fun costuming and, and the sets and the and the special effects are very, very cool. Um, I forget. Have you seen the 90s uh, Gamera films? No, I have not. Strong recommend. Yeah, uh, they are in my opinion and a lot of people's opinions, probably um, some of the best of the genre, mm. um, just the attention to detail and the, uh, 
the way they're structured is it's not it's not unique by the standards of of today like it's been done in many other places but um they make liberal use of like not ambient but just like news reports that are just native to the environment so like we have our main cast of characters and the the way the cast is structured is it's like a cast of thousands so we'll just have like a cutaway to somebody working at a power station or we'll have a cutaway to a naval officer and he's only in that scene but he's very very relevant to what's happening in the film at that time um but all throughout the movie there's like radio reports and people just like eating dinner and the camera is actually fixated and, and like the audio track is fixated on like the news report in the room with the other characters. And that's where a lot of the exposition is very organically relayed. Um, and not only that, there's a lot of interesting use of perspective where they, they put the monsters in our reality, like kind of similar to the, uh, the way the 2014 American Godzilla film is shot. They make liberal use of like camera angles that feel somewhat like, like a human perspective to something massive. Yeah. So the camera is placed in very interesting places mm. and it was ahead of its time. And uh, because it was from the mid nineties up to 1999, the miniature work is like chef's kiss, like, like top tier shit, like some of the best ever done in the genre. So, um, and they were still using miniatures and practical effects. Is this the, the Heisei era? Yes. The Heisei era. Um, now just, curious because arrow has the two different sets you have the uh what is it? the uh the show era now like because my instinct would be to start with the showa era are you saying i should just go right to the heisei era uh depends on what you want uh, so the <laughs> well i mean this is this is how you would determine that is so the showa era is uh, from I think it's like 66, maybe 64 for the first Gamera film where he's a little bit of a bad guy and then he becomes friend to all children and he gets a theme song and uh, that's where the trope of the Kenny comes from which is uh, the Kenny in, in Daikaiju cinema is the little Japanese boy in bike shorts who has unlimited access to military services and technology. <laughs> it's just like, oh, Kenny's at the Pentagon. We should let him in. <laughs> it's like, like, it's just a thing that happens in these movies. a lot. <laughs> but, um, and oftentimes they are named Ken. So it's fitting. But um, the first Gamera movie is semi-serious and is black and white. And then all the other ones in that era are ultra like technicolor pastel friend to all children, but in incredibly violent. Like there's depacketations left and right. Like every monster that does battle with Gamera has to lose a limb or a head uh, at some point. Gamera versus uh, Guiron or Giron. Uh, it, it's a monster with a knife for a head. Oh, um, it features multiple delimbings and depacketations but <laughs> it's lovely um but uh the 90s ones are more serious across the board they're also one consistent narrative um so if you want like colorful fun goofy like giant monster movies showa if you want something serious that has a like a consistent three film narrative with you know 90s era high quality effects and a more serious tone hey there's your answer. 
Why not both? I'll buy both and uh, I just won't watch eat any of them. Que no los dos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's enough about giant rubber monsters. Unless you have one you want to share, uh, Brad. What is your next D pick? Uh, I mean, I can't. I well, I do have something kind of in that vein, but I'm gonna I'm gonna not pick that one. I'm gonna go something else, something a little different. Um, and I guess you could say this is a bit of a monster because it's a monster film just in terms of its length. This thing is like three hours long, over three hours. Um, and it is a 4K release of The Deer Hunter, The Deer Hunter, which, uh, of course, famous Vietnam film. I think it did win Best Picture. Yeah, it did win Best Picture. Um, uh, I mean, you got De Niro, you got Christopher Walken, you got Meryl Streep. Great cast. I will say now, admittedly, I've only seen this film once and I have not watched this 4K. Uh, and that's because the movie is three hours. It is long and uh, it is a very well made film, but it's kind of it's not like, you know, you know, Tuesday night, eh, I'll throw on the deer hunter, have some fun. No, it's, it's not really that kind of thing. Um I mean, probably the most famous scene is the uh, the, you know, Russian roulette scene with Christopher Walken and Robert De Niro. But uh, it's an interesting film because the rest of the film is like not like that at all. Um, And I I kind of respect how like little is actually spent in Vietnam. Um, And I think it is it's a, you know, especially being so close, like was Vietnam even over when this movie came out. I don't even know. Uh, I think it might've ended a few years ago, but very recently after, you know, the war ended to make a movie that is, uh, you know, pretty prevalent and like, you know, the way that it handles the idea of soldiers changing, uh, and the difference between how they were when they went to war, what happened during the war coming home, like, you know, it's it's interesting to have those ideas so fully formed. I mean, I guess Vietnam lasted for a long time, so it's not like it. I'm sure those ideas were in the public's mind for quite some time. But you know, I I think it certainly gets points for coming up with this movie so soon after the war. Um, but yeah, it, it's a it's a very well made film. Um, performances are great, of course. Just uh, not one that uh, you you go back to so often because it is uh, pretty, you know, depressing and uh, long and it it is a little slow, but for a reason. Like, I think that first hour watching it for the first time, I'd be curious if I would feel the same way on a rewatch, but watching it for the first time thinking, okay, here's a, you know, this is a very famous Vietnam War movie. And then the first hour is just like, watching these friends hanging in the woods hunting for an hour. It's like, well, what, what is going on here? Um, but yeah, it, it is a good one. And I think the reason I bought it, one of the reasons was because I think this was uh, shout factory's very first 4k. So I was like, this is a game changer shouts getting into 4k. Gotta buy the deer hunter. You gotta do it. And I remember I did specifically uh, see this in stores at Best Buy. And I was like, well, they're putting it in stores. I got to buy it. Would I have bought it online? Probably not. But I saw it right in front of me and I said, yeah, all right, I'll pay full price for the deer hunter and uh, never watch it. So there you go. uh, The deer hunter. (laughs) 
what uh what year did that come out just curious uh 78 78 okay that, that's what i thought so if memory serves um the john wayne's the green berets was uh i believe the only vietnam war film released during the vietnam war like when before we pulled out i believe in 75 mm-hmm. um so yeah 78 would make sense um yeah, the Deer Hunter's a it's an interesting one. It's not it's not an everyday watch, that's for fucking sure. It is very, very long and it's very, very heavy. Um, but for what it's worth, uh my dad is a Vietnam vet. Um and he he likes that one. Like he he did respect that film. He did like that. Um and a lot of it actually came down to what you said about the the balance of the time spent in country and the time spent before they even get there. He was like, you know, like that was valuable to him where it's like, it's not just a war movie. It's, it's also about what you said about how, how it affects people. And it is dialed up to fucking 11 as most dramatized versions of, you know, of war and whatnot are portrayed. I mean, the, the story goes with platoon that like, if you, took everything of consequence that happens in the movie platoon um, and transpose that onto a, an actual platoon. It's like, no, <laughs> like, like, no, that all of that probably wouldn't happen to a single group of guys over, you know, over the course of a tour of duty over there, it would, it, it would be spread out across the entire war or something. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, my dad liked that one. Um, I've, I've seen it, but uh, only the one time uh, because it, it is very, very long did Walken get the Oscar for that one? I know he has he one. But I can't remember if it's for that though. I want. Well, I want to say it was for that. <laughs> um, let's see. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor for Christopher Walken, Best Sound, and Best Film Editing. I mean, damn, cleaned huge. up. Yeah, you. Yeah, uh, yeah that, I remember that. Um, but what's funny about that one is that uh, I, th- I haven't watched it. It's in the Criterion Collection, and I, I, I subtly was trying to pressure Kyle into getting it for me instead of Deep Cover. <laughs> Heaven's Gate. Um, mm. The same director, Michael Cimino or Cimino. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, that movie, uh, I have a fascination with failure. <laughs> it's, it's a thing. Like, it's, my, it's, my, it's the Costanza in me. I gravitate towards failure <laughs> um, and poor decision-making. Um, so the story goes, Deer Hunter was like, an, uh, not unparalleled, but an absolutely incredible success in every regard. And then I think Heaven's Gate came after that. And then I think it completely torpedoed Michael Cimino's career. Um, and that story fascinates me. Yeah. It makes me want to see it. It's kind of like Ishtar, where it's like you hear how bad it is. And you're just like, I, I, I got to know. It's it's like a. I mean, there's a reason I own Hudson Hawk. It's because I had to know. I was like, this this movie, it it it, it everybody hates it, <laughs> and apparently it really like put a damper on Bruce Willis's skyrocketing career. I got to know what the fuck happened here. Um, but yeah, Heaven's Gate, I I have never seen, but it's a, it's like a legendary failure uh, that had so much talent and and money thrown at it. It's like, how did this happen? But Deer Hunter isn't that. Deer Hunter's a very, very good movie that it does 
go a little extreme at times, but it, it, it it's hard is in the right place. And it, it's, it's good. It's good filmmaking. You know, it tells a good story and it's very, very well acted by everybody involved. Um, I'm due for a rewatch on that one. Cause uh, I've rewatched platoon. I've seen that movie t- too many fucking times. Um, Apocalypse now I rewatched not that long ago. Uh, Full Metal Jacket, it's been a long time. And Deer Hunter is probably the one that it's been the longest gap since I've seen that one. Um, Hamburger Hill's the only other like big one that comes to mind, but nobody gives a fuck about that movie. Like even yeah. like, Viet- like Vietnam like movie aficionados, they don't talk about Hamburger Hill. That movie fucking sucks. <laughs> it's, it really is the big four like that you mentioned. It is. I mean, it, it yeah. totally is. Like, and, and the rest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you had to pick one out of the big four, which would you say is your favorite? Uh, it's it's me personally, and also like my dad vouched for it. Uh, probably Platoon. Um, I find that to be the most watchable, um, but I don't think from a filmmaking standpoint, it's the best. Mm-hmm. Um, Apocalypse Now is like in all of its f- fucking forms. God, I watched the... The reason I watched it most recently was um, the what's it called? Final Cut, uh, the 4K I have. Um, it, Coppola is trying to he's trying to raise funds for his his big movie he's got. I forget what it's called. It's like it's not Cosmopolitan or Metropolitan or something. It's something Politan. He's raising funds for his last fucking film, and it's supposed to be a grand fucking epic. And the money's got to come from somewhere and his fucking zoetrope pictures is like self-funded. That's kind of been his thing since the seventies or whatever. Um, and that's why you're seeing the, this theory. I don't actually know this, but my theory is that's why we're seeing like the re the recut of the Godfather part three and the recut of apocalypse now is so that they can re-release it and he can collect on some of that Blu-ray money or fathom events or whatever the fuck. Uh, so he can, put it into this new movie of his that, that I will watch if he makes it. Um, but, uh, apocalypse now really is like, it might be a masterpiece (laughs) 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 to to quote your friend. Yeah. It really is like astounding, like filmmaking, like, like the way it's put together, the way it's shot, the way it's edited. It's like, Oh, Whoa. Uh, it, this is quite a lot better than any Ultraman movie I've ever seen. <laughs> um, but Full Metal Jacket, it's fucking Kubrick. Um, so it's probably neck and neck in terms of just like pure, like raw filmmaking talent being blasted onto the silver screen. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like personal favorites, I, I think it's probably Platoon just because it's most digestible. Yeah. Um, uh, that's mostly it. It's, I don't think it's better. I think I, I think I just connect with it better, and it's more palatable. But how about you? Uh, it's it's tough for me. I mean, I my part of my my gut says just like in terms of which one I like m- most, I would probably say Full Metal Jacket, just because of the Kubrick element, I guess. I, but uh, like, yeah, Platoon weirdly is probably like it's still you know a dark film it's still you know about war being hell but compared to the other ones it is probably the most like watchable and accessible not saying it like you know it's not like you know a skyfall or something you know you're not like well, yeah this is great but like it is 
um, a little more palatable, I guess, and watchable. Like you, like you could, you know, watch it with a group of friends and, you know, you'd be a serious watch, I guess, but I couldn't imagine having a group of buddies over to watch the deer hunter or something like that. Ugh. Um, but, Ugh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I definitely do need to see apocalypse now again, cause it's been too long and I'm, I, 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 I do realize it's an amazing film, but I don't know if I, uh, appreciated it at the same level I would now versus when I watched it eight, nine years ago or however long it was. I don't know. So I, I need to see that one again for sure. Yeah, that's kind of worked for me too, actually, because, um, Kyle and I reviewed, uh, hearts of darkness, the, uh, documentary about the making of apocalypse now we actually did a full episode on that and i think watching that really built up a lot of my appreciation for the film but the funny part is i didn't actually like watch the film until i didn't watch it again until much later and i think carrying that knowledge into the most recent viewing of the film really enhanced its impact on me um and yeah i I can say like wholeheartedly it's it's a fantastic fucking film um but I'd still probably watch Platoon given the choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, the like the wrong answer is probably we were soldiers, Brad. <laughs> That's clearly the best Vietnam War film ever made. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, Cage Nicholas Cage is on another level in that one. Oh, oh, that's a that's Wind Talkers. Oh, um, that's Wind. We, we were soldiers. Is that what am I thinking of? Which, that, that's which one that's that? Madman Mel. <laughs> oh, okay. I, don't know, I don't know if I've seen that one. It's like, I have a solution. I have the solution to the Vietnam War. Let's drop Mad Max in the jungle and see what happens. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Now I remember, yes. They, they yeah. both came out around the same time, early 2000s, they did. right? Yeah, yeah it, was, it was like early, mid-2000s. Wind Talkers was John Woo doing a, a Pacific Theater World War II movie. That, that movie's... Right that movie's not so great um that that was like that was like one of his last hollywood movies before he hopped over to china and i think he started doing the red cliff series around then um yeah i could not watch those i tried i love john woo but i tried to watch red red cliff and i was like i have no idea what's happening (laughs) like like you have to have some foundation in in like chinese history because it's just it's just throwing it's just throwing captions and names at you every trip every time the camera moves it's like name title position i'm just like fuck man it's like i've played a (laughs) dynasty warriors game a dynasty warriors game i've played a romance of the three kingdoms game but apparently you need to play all of them in order to understand this fucking red cliff movie but we were soldiers is uh it's only significant because it, it takes place at the beginning of the war like like the initial american involvement in the conflict like okay. years after all the stuff with france and whatnot but hmm. so it, it has a slightly different not slightly actually it, it's a very patriotic movie in a way that none of the other good ones are <laughs> it's like it doesn't have that cynicism you know it's yeah it has a more black hawk down vibe to it Okay. Um, and also remember, it came out not that long after that movie, and you know, and after nine eleven and stuff. So we producers were like, these Americans need a leg up. They need to look back on one of the 
most contentious conflicts in our history and, and get a get a victory lap out of it. <laughs> very very poor choice. Yeah. No. Never never seen that one. I'll I'll add it to the list though. Uh, good Greg good Greg Kinnear. I know he's mostly doing mm. Jesus movies these days, but good Greg Kinnear. And okay. uh you know Mel and uh Sam Elliott's in there. He's all he's he's in like full uh, full on cowboy mode in that. He's he's fine in it. Um has it's very, very violent at times. Um I remember there was one scene that dad left the room. He was just like, Nope. <laughs> like, like he was just like, Nope, they did that too well. Fuck that. I hate this movie. I've never want to see it again. Um, which said a lot, but um yeah, We Were Soldiers is nobody's favorite Vietnam War movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, uh, is it is it my pick? Yes. Yep. I okay. just did how, the deer how many how many more rounds do you want to go, Brad? Uh, I mean, it's your call. I mean, if, uh, we could do if you want to do one more pick and then the speed round because these last few I don't have a ton to say about. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of entering into the same situation here. Uh, so, oof. I don't have enough to say about this movie. So this is actually going to be like an actual quick pick. Um, okay. So I'm sorry. I, I, maybe you know something about this movie because I don't. Um, All right. Okay. So this D pick is very, very random. Um, but I have here a movie that I, I read about on... I forget what website it was, but it was a, it was a website that specialized in reviews of foreign action films, and it wasn't one of the big ones that I, re- I frequent. This was this was a stumble upon situation where I was like, I couldn't tell you where I found out about this, but mm. uh, this was an impulse buy uh, that I I was just very curious because I saw I read the review, I watched a clip, and I was like. I don't know if I like this, but I'm curious enough to give it a shot. And I and I think this is why I'm picking this. I, I'm, I'm working backwards, Brad, because we talked a lot about Vietnam. Uh, so you have like a iffy connection with Deer Hunter where it's like it's a good movie, but don't know if it's my favorite. It's not something I would watch every day. That's kind of my my attachment to this movie I, in that I don't really have one is that I it might be good couldn't tell you uh so so to dispel the mystery i have here what i believe is an italian blu-ray the only italian disc i have on my shelf wow um of doberman or doberman uh starring vincent cassell uh, monica bellucci and checky cario uh, who i'm always happy to see and this is directed by is it jan uh, conan uh, so this is a French film, but this is an Italian Blu-ray. Um, and this movie is fucking hideous. Um, it is deeply unpleasant to look at. And that seems to be uh, the way the cinematography and the editing are motivated, is that that seems to be a guiding principle, uh, is is to make a absolutely grotesque uh, visual feast of an action film. Uh, so this this is very much a 90s action film. I forget exactly what year it came out, um, but it, it is it's wild. It's over the top. It's borderline nonsensical. Apparently, we have some sexy friends in the chat. Uh, in fact, I'm going to show that right now just because I can. My hot yeah, photo here. So saith wow. the chat from sexfind.xyz. 
Thanks. Make a donation, Sex Find. Maybe I'll show you on the screen again. <laughs> Doberman really got everybody talking. Yeah, I mean, Vincent Cassell and Monica Bellucci. Yeah. 90s Bellucci. Mm. Um, and Chuck Cario, I mean, he's hideous in this film, seemingly intentionally so. Um, but yeah, I would recommend looking up a clip of this movie, not watching the whole movie, because it's not, I don't think it's good. It's, I really don't think it is. But it's unique. Um, it really does have a, a singular style to it that was enough to make me want to give it a shot. And part of it was that I couldn't fucking find it anywhere. Uh, so I went on eBay and I got this Italian Blu-ray. It had a good transfer. Uh, the subtitles, I think, were of adequate quality. Um, but I did notice like some iffiness where it's like, maybe that's a mistranslation. Maybe I'm not. Maybe that's part of why it's hard for me to like get immersed in this is maybe I'm missing some of the narrative. Um, but yeah, uh, some really interesting visuals. Um, very, very much like loud MTV mid nineties era kind of shit. Um, kind of uh, the Jean Reno movie Wasabi at times, which is also a French film um, that has kind of a, a crazy over the top quality to it, almost like a comic booky vibe to it. Um, but that movie's good. Like objectively, it's a it's a good film. Um, whereas Doberman beats me, man. <laughs> I've never uh, seen it, but it looked like I just looked it up that it, uh, that he's a bank robber. Or yeah. he robs banks. Yeah, wondering does it kind of like a bit of a uh, post Tarantino, bit of a Guy Ritchie kind of vibe to it, almost. Very yeah. much so. Very yeah. much so. It has it has some of that stink on it. Um, Checky Cario is uh, delightfully over the top in it. Delightfully is not the right word. Um, he he is a nasty fucking villain in it. Like he's just an awful human being in it. Um, and he really dials it up to 11. He's one of those actors that every time you see him, he's great. It's just in American cinema, we didn't get very many glimpses of him. Like he's in uh, Kiss of the Dragon, uh, the Jet Li movie, and uh, The Patriot as the uh, French fellow who dresses nicely for what he thinks is going to be his last battle. He's great in that. And uh, the, the wing commander movie, Brad, have you ever seen wing commander? No, I have not. Oh, fuck. I, I don't, I don't know if you ever make forays into uh, video game cinema, like movies based on video games. Um, I'm, I'm a lifelong gamer. So especially like older video game movies are something that I like to check out. Um, but Wing Commander's fucking trash. Uh, although, although it does have the one-two punch of Freddie Prinze Jr. and uh, Matthew Lillard. Oh, wow! When when did it come out? Uh, late nineties, I think. Oh, so they I were think kind of in their prime then. They were. They, I mean, they wow. had not frosted tips, but they definitely had some of that shit. Like uh, there may mm-hmm. have been some puka shells under their flight suits. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that was Doberman. Like I said, I, I don't have much to say about it other than like just, hey, I have this. It's weird. <laughs> I mean, cool that it's an Italian Blu-ray, though. So is it region A it, or it, what region is it? Uh, officially on the box, on the box, it says uh, ABC. So all oh, cool. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, uh, weird, weird diversion, but um, just for a pit stop real quick, Brad, do you uh, 
do you have any like blu-rays that it's not a matter of like how much it costs it's a matter of can you find it like do you have any movies right now that you can think of that's like i want this or i would like to see this but i just don't have the means to get it to me like a movie that like doesn't have any sort of release sort of thing or i was thinking more availability like it does exist in some form but not not a form that's easy to acquire Hmm. um or failing that something that hasn't been released yet it's a good question um i well i mean i know previously, i'm putting you on the spot but <laughs> no it's all right i know one example i can think of that is now available that i forgot to pick up in the criterion sale or no i don't think it's available yet i, I don't think it's come out yet but there was um a couple uh michael haneke movies um i was this was a long time ago i was going through michael haneke's filmography and specifically one benny's video uh i couldn't rent it anywhere um you know i couldn't stumble upon a good site for for it accidentally uh so i was like oh there's like no way to watch this thing um but it is getting a release uh on through criterion uh they're putting out like three michael haneke movies um in one set and i i don't think it's come out yet so i i didn't forget to buy it i don't think it's out yet but um that was probably the last example i I can think of where there was a movie that i just couldn't find a way to watch like couldn't rent it couldn't stream it anywhere couldn't uh get it from the library if you know what i'm saying uh uh, but yeah in terms of like something that's gotten a release that's hard to find i'd have to think about that i'd have to think about that yeah, I, I I know it was kind of out of the blue, but like maybe if we get to the end of the episode and you can think of anything, like feel free to share. But like for me, um, there I have a couple of movies that haven't been released, but I also have ones that I uh, subtitled. They're foreign, but they only mm. exist in in their region, but without English subtitles or something like that. Um, so one that I know hasn't been released because I checked this morning because uh, I'm, I'm like every once in a while I just check in on it. I think it came out in 2019. Uh, it's a movie my brother turned turned me on to that I should probably just rent it and get it over with because it is available digitally, um, but not physically um, is in full bloom. Um, it's I, I forget what countries it's a co-production between, but it's most certainly a Japanese co-production but it's a, it's a boxing film set during World War II um, that's produced by Henry Cejudo, uh, who one of your buddies might know who that is. Uh, he's a retired uh, UFC fighter. Um, I don't know how he got attached to the project, um, but as far as I know, it's only available digitally uh, at the moment, and it's been that way for years, unfortunately. Um, and as, as a result, I haven't watched it because I kind of resigned myself to just buying it if it ever becomes available. Um, additionally, there's a Japanese film called, uh, in the, in the hero, uh, that's the concept was like, man, that sounds great. I wish I could watch that. I can't though. Cause it, it hasn't been released outside Japan. It hasn't been subtitled. It's, it's about, um, like, a, a tokusatsu TV show. So like power Rangers or Kamen Rider or something. It's about an actor who wears the costume. So like the stunt guy, essentially, 
Um, and he wants to like break out into actual acting, but like he's being held down by the man. <laughs> so it's, it's about this stunt man who's accustomed to having to wear like superhero rubber costumes and stuff all the time, trying to branch out in his career. Uh, it sounded really cool, but uh, anyway, thanks for indulging me on that. I, 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 I'm always fascinated I, by stuff like that. I did think of uh, one potentially, although looking into it, I might actually it might actually be a pretty easy way to uh, watch it. Uh, the one that I was thinking of is um, the the straight story, the David Lynch film, which uh, weirdly does not have a North American Blu-ray release, but it does have several um international uh versions and apparently i i was just looking it up um imprint uh put out a version of it last year and i guess it is region free um but it'd just be the way of i guess importing it and the cost of that and i'm looking on dia um diabolic dvd and they're out of stock but there i mean there are versions out there but it is uh, a little wild that there has not been a release of it but i little uh you know little th- theory a little prediction here uh criterion just put out wally on 4k of course a disney pixar film i do believe uh the straight story is owned by disney my theory is that we will be getting a straight story criterion release very soon now that they're dipping into that disney well i would be it feels like a Criterion movie. It feels like it. And the fact that it hasn't gotten any kind of North American release, it's overdue. Um, but it is on Disney Plus. So I did watch it a couple of years ago on there. So it, it, you can watch it easily. It's just not own it. Yeah, I mean, that would only make sense. I mean, if they if they've popped the seal on that, that 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 makes sense. Plus, you know, David Lynch is like akin to Akira Kurosawa, where it's just like, if he made it, it's going to end up in the Criterion Collection eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that's funny though. That's not available in our region. Like you would just expect as a David Lynch film, somebody's going to want to distribute this. But you know, Disney's very protective of their stuff, so maybe that had something to do with yeah. it. Yeah, um, it's, it's funny too because it's such a. And like, I don't think you you said you haven't seen it. I don't think right, but that's the lawnmower movie. Yeah, right? yeah. It's just yeah. <laughs> it's such a distinctly American movie too. It's about a man on a cross country road trip through like the heart of the country on the lawnmower. Like it's just weird that there's no North American release of it, even though it's like it's where you would expect it to be. Like that's yeah, where it's it matters. A big hit, big hit in Finland. Yeah, exactly. The Dominican Republic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, I will point out that there is a Scott Adkins movie called Incoming. Uh, Incoming put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable um, that uh, as far as I know, never received a uh, physical release in our region, which means I will have to investigate and see if I can find like a German DVD or something mm-hmm. that I can't play. Um, okay. So that was Doberman. Did you want to do one more round or are you about tapped out? Brad? I think I can just go to the speed round. Uh, I don't, I don't have a ton okay. to say about any of these, to be honest. I think that's where I'm at too. So good call. Uh, okay. So, uh, Folks at home, uh, if you're not aware, uh, the way we traditionally close out our Tales from the Shelf episodes is uh, we do a little something we like to call the speed round, where essentially what we do is we uh, pour over our uh, runner-ups, our picks that we set aside for the conversation this episode that did not get spotlit just now, uh, and we just run through them kind of rapid fire style. So we're not going to be doing like a back and forth conversation on it. It's more just like a show and tell 
brief, just like, here's what it is, here's what it means to me, moving on. Uh, so that being said, um, Brad, uh, would you like to go first, do you, or do you need to uh, collect yourself? Uh, otherwise, I can go. I mean, I can go first. Uh, I, I've got, I don't, I've got everything I need to collect right here. So yeah, I can kick it okay. off. Um, All right, well, I'm going to give you the single, and you can take off. Well, I've got uh, Deep Star 6, which I watched for the first time not too long ago. Um, I like these underwater horror films. Uh, I was I was looking. It, it is crazy. Like, I forget that this Leviathan and I want to say the Abyss all came out the same year, which is Lords of the Abyss also cra- it's crazy. Crazy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fun little underwater horror film. Lots of bonus features on the Kino disc, which is great. So it is a good release. Um, I've got dazed and confused, the criterion version love Dazed and confused. One of my favorite films, uh, just got announced that they're releasing a 4k of this. So pretty soon I can throw this in the garbage. Um, a movie that has a 4k, but I have the criterion of is do the right thing. Um, when I, I've only seen this the one time, but I sprung for the criterion version, which, uh, is pretty substantial. You've got a huge booklet in here. Like, not that I've read it, but like, just like the, you know, they, they, they put, they put some effort into this release. Like this is a big booklet. Like this is, this is substantial. Um, but it also has a standard 4k. So, you know, you could have gone either way, but, uh, Amazing film, obviously, uh, Spike Lee. Um, and I've got uh, 4K of The Dark Crystal, which um, my buddy, uh, Charlie, big fan of this one. Uh, I watched it, I think, for the first time not too long ago. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I was uh, I was I had crystal fever. I had dark crystal fever. Watched the first episode of the Netflix show. thought it was great. And then I, I didn't watch anymore. I watched the first episode and I was out after that. But um, it was <laughs> it was good. I was like, I'm going to I'm going to watch this show. And it just didn't happen. I think Kyle did the same thing and he loves puppets. Um, yeah. And he's been trying to get me to watch the movie for a long time. I still haven't. Mm. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's on my to do list for sure. I I should rewatch Labyrinth, but I, I actually think I would say I prefer the Dark Crystal um over labyrinth but it's been a long time since i've seen labyrinth so maybe i need to revisit that one and the last one uh, which i feel like i don't think it has a 4k release yet but it has to be getting one soon i would think unless there's rights issues uh day of the dead the george romero film day of the dead um i think you and i have joked that george romero's estate is just pumping anything they can for cash so would not be surprised if we get a 4k of this also because it's a scream factory release but it's an early scream factory release of a pretty substantial movie from one of the famous horror directors so i think a 4k release would i'd be surprised if it doesn't come at some point but i i actually really like day of the dead um not as good as dawn of the dead but it's close to being it's maybe just slightly underneath night of the living dead i i think day of the dead is really good um and uh, i i enjoy it so uh yeah i've got more d's besides that but those are the ones that i pulled off the shelf yeah good deal i mean i didn't expect you to pull all the d's off the shelf but um yeah you and i have had that debate before about day and dawn um, i think i think my assessment of them is a little biased because i saw day first 
Okay. Um, and then saw Dawn. I, I will concede that Dawn is the more than likely the better film. Very similar, I guess, to my feelings on Platoon um, and just like Vietnam War movies and whatnot. I think Dawn is the better film, but there's some qualities today that are just really they get they really get a lot of it right. Like it, it has an oppressive tone to it that is daring. Like, like there's very few horror movies I've seen like that kind of very explicit horror where like it's it's not it's not like a ghost story or something or something like more supernatural like that. It's like it's very in your face like that monsters are over there. We, we can touch them and, and deal with them every day, but it has like a really dark and oppressive quality to it that's overbearing at times like it's a very dreary movie and and mm-hmm. tom savini's probably his best work of his entire filmography honestly yeah um, it's 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 good truly incredible gore the effects, effects are amazing good soundtrack too um mm-hmm. it doesn't have the gonk which is the oh. best music ever committed to film um but it does have a good soundtrack um but yeah i good good pick i, I do expect there to be a 4k eventually just because Whoever's running that estate, man, they, they want to squeeze every fucking penny out of it. They made a fucking zombie out of George Romero's filmography. It just mm-hmm. keep it just keeps coming back. Just oh, more hot girls have arrived. Oh, more yeah. hot girls. More hot girls for free. <laughs> hey, as uh, long as they're getting some uh some recommendations on some movie picks, it's fine by me. Yeah, so folks at home, uh, if you're listening to the audio-only version of the show, uh, we're we're doing a live stream, and we are getting a lot of comments about hot girls are here and they're free. Sometimes they're on fire. Sometimes they have exposed hearts, according to the text messages. <laughs> uh, okay, so I guess it's to me. Um, so I have a few more picks than you, as is the norm, but I'll try to be quick about it. So I have here uh, in my speed round. Uh, Daniel Bryan, just say yes, yes, yes. Uh, this is about the uh, the wrestler uh, from Aberdeen, Washington. Uh, not my hometown, but my home state. Uh, so I always cheer for, uh, I believe he goes by Bryan Danielson now at uh, AEW, but this is a WWE produced documentary about his career. It's not great, um, but it does uh, include a lot of his matches on the bonus discs, which is nice, especially considering it consider it like includes a lot of his, his old stuff. It's like from his up and coming days, but the man's still working to this day. And apparently he's still headlining shows. Like he's still top of his class in terms of wrestling talent. Uh, I have here uh, the, who directed this? Pete Travis, who it is a complete shock to me, and I haven't investigated this. Maybe you can look this up while I'm talking, Brad. Has Pete Travis done anything? Because I have dread here. And this movie made a big splash with the people who saw it, but not that many people saw it as far as I know. And from a style, from a style standpoint and from an execution standpoint, it's simple, but effective, and it it all signs point to it being a career a career making movie. It's just like I don't see how somebody wouldn't get more work out of this. Like, do you know has he has he made any other movies? Uh, he did one other movie uh, that came out in 2016 called City of Tiny Lights. The fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, it's got. Riz Ahmed, 
and okay. that's about it. Talented actor. Yeah, but I think before he, I mean, not saying he's not talented, but before he was, you know, a name. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, never heard of this. Um, he's also done a few TV things, but yeah, it is that is interesting that he kind of fell off. Well, I have to come to the conclusion that he's an asshole um, because <laughs> <laughs> no, because Dread is a very competently made film, like well put together. Uh, they accomplished quite a lot with a, what I believe to be a very low budget. Um, it even made use of 3D at the time when 3D was relevant. Um, it's it's a fun watch. Um, it, it has a lot going for it, but for whatever reason, it it just did not take off the way I would have expected. Uh, moving on, though, I have uh, Dick Tracy, um, which I hope they make a new Blu-ray of this. Uh, this is also a Disney film, as far if memory serves. Um, and this Blu-ray is fine, but it's not great. And I mostly have it because I like looking at this movie. But Kyle and I, the, the debate continually rages, like, is Dick Tracy good? And I'm I stand I, I stand by the fact that I don't. I never it never quite clicks with me, but it's fun to it's really beautiful to look at. Um, but something about the pace of it or the lack thereof just bores me. <laughs> um, I, I don't want to interrupt you uh, here, but uh, I have some Pete Travis updates, um, which I've never I've never heard this. This is kind of interesting, but uh, I just Googled Pete Travis dread. And the first thing that pops up is an article from IndieWire. So reputable source, you know, <laughs> this isn't just some Reddit post or something um, that says Carl Urban claims Alex Garland actually directed Dread, not Pete Travis. And uh, the quote is a huge part of the success of Dread is, in fact, due to Alex Garland. And what a lot of people don't realize is that Alex Garland actually directed that movie, Urban said. So. There you go. I, I'm inclined to believe that because Alex Garland has gone on to have a very good career um, and has shown to be very talented. And for that to get out into the public without a retraction or anything probably means it's true. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Interesting. Thanks for looking yeah. into that. Appreciate it. Um, okay, I have another WWE documentary, The Destruction of the Shield. Uh, all three of these guys are still working. All three of them are still at the pinnacle of sports entertainment. Um, I have here uh, three movies that I was going to talk about uh, in detail, but instead I decided to talk about Doberman because I'm smart. Uh, I have uh, The Debt Collector. The Debt Collector on uh, French-Canadian Blu-ray and Debt Collectors, which is actually oh. the sequel to The Debt Collector. <laughs> <laughs> all three of which are Scott Adkins films, all three of which are directed. Well, it's two films, three discs uh, directed by Jesse V. Johnson. Uh, lots of fun. Lots and lots of fun. They have a fun homage to the uh, fist fight between a uh, Roddy Roddy Piper and uh, Keith David in uh, uh, They Live. They have a fun like recreation of that um, in there in the sequel. Uh, I have Digstown, uh, which is a fun little uh, uh, hustler slash gambling uh, boxing film. Uh, James Woods, I know to be an incredible 
incredibly divisive figure. I know a lot of the internet absolutely hates this man, but I'm sorry. A lot of times he is exactly the right man for the job um, when it comes to acting, not being a human being um, or being a good person. Um, But James Woods really works here. And uh, Lou Gossett Jr. is fantastic as always. Uh, This was a very early review for catching up on cinema. Uh, I roped Kyle into reviewing this movie and he was like, the fuck is digs down? I was like, it was this movie that used to, they used to play on UPN all the time. (laughs) He was like, and that means it's good. It's like, yes, shut up. I like it. Uh, good Bruce Stern. Really good Bruce Stern. Mm. Um, I have Departures, um, which I believe I've talked about with you before, Brad. That's right. But, yeah. Uh, this is a Japanese film. It's very procedural about like traditional funeral services. Um, absolutely beautiful score by Joe Hisaishi. Um, the, the music that plays over the end credits is one of the most like one of the most beautiful pieces of music I've ever heard. Um, it's one of the few movies I've seen in the theater with my grandma, uh, which I can count on exactly one. I think I've seen two movies with my grandma in the theater, uh, so that's kind of important to me. Uh, I have uh, Dog Bite Dog, uh, which is a Chinese film that I probably should have brought up uh, talking about The Deer Hunter, because this is a, a movie about... Um, I mean, it's a wild fucking movie, but uh, the main character makes a huge transition in the final act where he basically turns into a crazed barbarian out of nowhere. Um, Hmm. It's pretty fucking cool. Uh, It's a good movie. I like it. (laughs) I haven't watched it in a long time. I have on DVD, uh, Dead Alive, Peter Jackson's Dead Alive. Um, Literally, the only reason I have this on my shelf is because this is one of those movies that uh, does have a Blu-ray, but it's absurdly overpriced uh, and is not very, it's like, horribly rated uh, i remember kyle looking into this and he still wants this movie um, but it's expensive in all forms that it exists in and all all printings of it are shit um so i have this because it was the right price at the right time um but that's kind of it do you know the reason for that i don't like i i don't know why that is but it's it's been like an obsession for kyle like he he it's like the one page on blu-ray.com that he frequents is like Mm -hmm. checking is, is Peter Jackson's dead alive available in an acceptable form now, because it's, it's bizarre that you would expect, you would expect someone with the name of Peter Jackson, similar to your David Lynch. Like you would expect all of his work to be available, like readily available and of decent quality at the very least. But that DVD is not very good. Uh, and that Blu-ray disc is apparently not very good either. Um, mm. I do know that they have reissued some of Peter Jackson's uh, works in the past couple of years. And every time one of these comes out or something, I know Kyle's radar goes off and he's like, is, is it dead alive? And they're like, fuck, it's not. <laughs> it's like, it's that stupid World War One documentary again. <laughs> it's they shall not grow old or some shit. <laughs> something actually important. Uh, not like that zombie movie. <laughs> Okay, and uh, my last one is uh, an oddly shaped DVD, so I'll actually need to hold that one up so you can see what I mean. Uh, So this box is very, very frustrating on my shelf. Uh, So I have here, um, it just says Dragon Forever, which is a little depressing. There's supposed to be, it's supposed to be plural, because there's three of them. It's Dragons Forever, and I believe 88 Films is putting this out or has put this out on blu-ray 
potentially not in our region, Brad. I'm not positive on that. I'd need to look hmm. it up. Um, but if you look at the proportions of the box, it's like it's like a couple millimeters wider than a standard oh. DVD. Okay, just a couple yeah. of millimeters. Um, the transfer is fine on the DVD, um, but the subtitles are trash. Um, but I bought this was one of the earliest DVDs I ever fucking bought. And a lot of it came down to um, I was this was when I was starting to get obsessed with martial arts films. And uh, Benny Urquidez uh, is a American kickboxer who worked with Jackie Chan twice. And uh, Wheels on Meals was their first collaboration. Dragons Forever was their second. And there's this debate, like at the time anyway, This oh, we've come a very long way in martial arts cinema, but at the time, the debate was Wheels on Meals and like Jackie Chan versus Benny Arquitas very well may be the best exhibition of martial arts in cinema. Dragons Forever may equal it. So there was this debate, like which one's the better exhibition of those two actors going at it with each other. Mm. Um, so I picked up both of those movies on dvd from the same from the same label so they both have that funky box they both have shit subtitles um but dragons forever is a fun one it's uh, directed by Corey yuan i think he also choreographed it and also you get the three musketeers uh, you get the samu hung yun biao and uh jackie chan combination and seeing the three of them together is just fucking cinema magic like they they perform miracles on screen yun biao in particular like he's he's just an expert acrobat and Samuel Hung, the fleet footed fat man. It's like if Chris Farley knew Kung Fu, <laughs> it's delightful. <laughs> did, did you ever see the show uh, martial law, Brad? No, I, I never did. You may be too young for that, but Samuel Hung, the hair that looked like a skunk kind of, um, he, he graced our televisions. And I think he had a crossover with Walker, Texas Ranger <laughs> um, called uh, Walker. Uh, it was called martial law. And uh, Kelly, who was one of his sidekicks, I think like Arsenio Hall or some shit was one of his sidekicks. All right. <laughs> but, but yeah, I'm pretty sure he showed up and he I don't know if he threw down with Chuck Norris, but he definitely showed up on his show. Um, but I'm always happy to see Samuel Hung, but Dragons Forever is terrific. Um, if that 88 films version of it, which, I, again, I don't know if it's available now or is yet to be released, um, if that comes out in our region fuck yes i'm buying that because i'd actually Grab like to it, know yeah. what people are saying to each other because these <laughs> subtitles are trash <laughs> ah well, that being said um that was the speed round not so speedy on my part i'm sorry about that um but uh as always brad thank you so much for joining me this was a lot of fun folks at home you i don't know if you're watching the video or listening to the audio but we're trying out a brand new streaming software called restream here um, and I think it's worked out. We'll find out after I hit the end button, um, but it seems to be working well. Um, but as always, uh, thank you so much for joining me, Brad. I really appreciate your help uh, doing the show. And I think Brad actually died as I was talking about the stream being broadcast by a new service. Absolutely fucking wonderful. We made it two as, hours before anything bad happened, Brad. Congratulations. As soon as you say uh, it's going by without uh, any problems, then I was in the process of praising the streaming software for doing its job absolutely beautifully. And of course, wouldn't you know it? It fucked me. <laughs>
Okay. Well, I was in the middle of thanking you, Brad, uh, for joining me. I always appreciate your help doing this. Um, but before we go, uh, would you care to let the folks at home know where they could find you and your super awesome podcast? Yeah, it's the Cinema Speak podcast. Uh, we're on uh, Twitter at the Cinema Speak, on Instagram as Cinema Speak Podcast, and on YouTube as Cinema Speak. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find shows, or uh, just find us on the web at cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. All right. Thanks for that, Brad. Uh, and do you have any uh, videos lined up? Uh, I know you you have some Black Friday boxes bo- boxes plural coming to your door soon like you think you're gonna do an unboxing i might do i might do a little something I'll, I'll i'll see i'll see it just depends if i get the motivation i've got the i've got the movies where i could do something but just depends if i get the motivation and the time i mean it's all about time uh, i i completely understand but but thanks brad um but in the meantime, uh, folks at home, uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. I can also find us on the social medias at uh, Instagram at catchinguponcinema or on the Twitter at catchingcinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. So fucking Google it. And uh, that being said, thank you so much for listening or hopefully watching uh, and we will catch you next time.